Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video units. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And on this episode of Film Spotting SVU, Allison and I will finally settle which of us is the true Hootie Tootie Disco Cutie when we discuss, God help us, the Greasy Strangler. Later in this episode, we will bring you cue shots in which we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all with a common theme. And inspired by The Greasy Strangler, this is true, we considered devoting a podcast to disco-themed movies. We could have had some great music in there, but we were heartbroken to find that none of the admittedly fairly narrow sliver of films that could be considered disco cinema were streaming. When will we ever be able to discuss The Apple? And so instead, we went with a topic that the Apple would actually totally also have worked for, Midnight Movies, a category the Greasy Strangler definitely aims for. Um, But before we get to that, let's do Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few titles that are new on demand. And Matt, this is your responsibility this time around. What have you got? Uh, well, first up, I've got uh, clearly the most disco movie of 2016, Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> okay, it's not very disco. How about this, Allison? I will use, because we always have some music in between one of our segments, maybe I'll use some music from the Apple as one of the breaks. Would, would that be good? Thank okay, you. You, I'll let you pick the song. You can tell me later which song you want, and I will let you decide. So yeah, Manchester by the Sea. Uh, as we are recording this, it is a Oscar nominee, but by the time you're listening to this, there's a chance it could be an Oscar winner. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, it is the latest film from writer-director Kenneth Lonergan. It stars Casey Affleck as a shy handyman living in Boston. He returns home to the Massachusetts town of the title when his brother, who's played by Kyle Chandler, dies suddenly. And his will names him, Casey Affleck, the legal guardian of his nephew, played by Lucas Hedges. And both Affleck and Hedges are Oscar-nominated, along with Michelle Williams, who plays Casey Affleck's ex-wife. They're all terrific. I'm not sure any of them are going to win. I think Casey Affleck has a shot, but I actually don't think he's going to win. But we'll see. But um, they're all terrific. And the movie is both one of the saddest films uh, of recent memory and also a surprisingly funny one, mostly thanks to that character who's played by Lucas Hedges, who has two different girlfriends that he's juggling without trying to let on, you know, let either of them know that they're one of two women he's seeing. And he has this terrible garage band that he plays in that we see at length. Very, very funny. Um, 
And this is, I mean, that's really what I admired about the film is the way it balanced these very conflicting tones in a way that to me felt completely organic, that did not feel out of place. Um, it, to me, really kind of nailed the uh, the messy nature of life. One second, things can be wonderful, and one second later, things can be incredibly depressing. And that's the way it goes sometimes, and that's the way it goes in Manchester by the Sea, uh, which is a movie that I definitely recommend you check out, whether or not it wins any Oscars. It is available now on VOD. Next up, a movie that will be available on VOD on March 3rd, a film I haven't seen but I've heard good things about. I'm looking forward to seeing. It is called Catfight. And I will read you the plot description. Two bitter rivals pursue a grudge match that spans a lifetime. Struggling outsider artist Ashley, played by Anne Heche, and wealthy housewife Veronica, played by Sandra Oh, were close in college but have not seen each other since. When they find themselves attending the same glitzy party, verbal barbs lead to fisticuffs and an all-out brawl. So this is a literal... Literal metaphorical catfight, I guess, that will keep these two locked in combat for years to come. Uh, my colleague Aaron Whitney at uh, our site, Screen Crush, gave it a positive review out of TIFF. That's where it premiered, I believe, and called it a total blast, a total blast of these women beating the crap out of each other. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. It is Catfight, available on VOD on March 3rd. And finally, available on March 7th, another Oscar nominee for its star, Natalie Portman. Uh, it is Jackie. And Nellie Portman plays First Lady Jackie Kennedy in the days after the death of her husband in 1963. Billy Crudup plays this uh, magazine journalist. He's writing an article about her, her life and the aftermath of this tragedy. And the film keeps jumping back and forth from their interview where she is working very hard to sort of craft the image that's going to be presented in this piece uh, to her time in the White House, both before and after John F. Kennedy's death, where she is very instrumental in leading the charge to have this grand public funeral for him that will, in her mind, sort of ensure that he is remembered as this great figure. And uh, what I liked about the movie was that sort of unique structure and the way it encourages you to think about the way media shapes our understanding of history and how sometimes those figures of that history can, in turn, use the media to shape our thoughts about that history. And you have Natalie Portman. She's very good in the film. I thought her accent was a little mannered and heavy at times, but... I, th- I thought that was deliberate. Well, I mean, I suppose whose accent she's, she's uh, doing had a very mannered accent. I guess that's true. At times. Uh, Pablo Lorraine is a very good director from Chile. He's made some very good movies there. Very challenging films like Tony Manero and No. This is his first English language film. It's probably also his most accessible film to date, but it definitely has some of his personal touches, including very gr- good period details, reconstructing these old sort of these old images using new technology and and that sort of deconstruction of the media and image making. It's all still in there. So that is Jackie available on VOD on March 7th. Film Spotting SVU, we let you choose our main review by voting on one of three options. And this time around, we had you pick from 
the doc author, the JT Leroy story, which you can find on Amazon Prime. The dark comedy, The Greasy Strangler, which is also on Amazon Prime. And the Civil War slave drama, drama, The Retrieval, which you've guessed it, is also on Amazon Prime. And despite a late surge from author, The Greasy Strangler got the lead and held on to it in its greasy, greasy fingers. <laughs> the Greasy Strangler is about... What is The Greasy Strangler about? <laughs> I'm glad this you get is, to do this uh, and not me this time. It's a tricky question. I suppose in one way, you could look at it at, at Jim Hosting's film as a heartfelt story about a parent and child attempting to find common ground mm. after years of estrangement. Very touching. Yes. It is about a man named Big Ronnie, played by the fearless Michael St. Michaels, and his grown son, Big Brayden, played by Sky Elobar, who live together with a dynamic that's like a... Let's call it... An industrial male gray garden. I was just going to say, yeah, I was hoping that was where you're it going. Was, and you it's did. absolutely there. Totally. Uh, with, with, uh, they support themselves by giving extremely implausible disco walking tours while wearing matching pink uh, mock turtlenecks. These are tours in which they claim that seemingly random buildings are very important disco locations. Big Ronnie also sometimes strips his clothes off, covers himself in grease, and becomes a feral serial killer called the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> in fact, he's really terrible at hiding. He just often blurts out, I'm not the Greasy Strangler. Well, he's not hiding. it. I mean, he's saying, I'm not. Right. Uh, they're imbalanced uh, codependent dynamic is thrown off uh, when a woman named Janet played by Elizabeth Durazo gets involved with one of the men and then the other uh, but story is really secondary to the strange and often grotesque imagery the greasy strangler attempts to imprint forever on your brain very generous to say it's secondary <laughs> it has uh, an aesthetic I'd place somewhere between let's say slightly more whimsical David Lynch and adult swim on way harder than usual drugs <laughs> Uh, sometimes it plays like a warped sitcom filled with Freudian father complex anxiety and also giant prosthetic dongs. It makes no concessions to the viewer in terms of providing explanations for its inexplicable world. You either get on its frequency or you will be left totally behind and outside of this movie. So Matt, that's the key question. Did you get greasy? <laughs> uh, wait, the dongs were prosthetic? I did have I did I did sort of sit there watching going, please God let these be prosthetic uh <laughs> wangs. There's, there's definitely there uh, multiple shots of it, particularly flapping in the the breeze of a car wash uh, yeah. dryer. Yeah. <laughs> um I did did I get on its wavelength? Uh to a certain extent, I guess. I sort of begrudgingly admired the the I what I would call the purity of impurity here it is a disgusting movie it is stupid it is ridiculous but within that disgustingness there is a sort of ideological perfection i would say which while i can't say i necessarily enjoyed all of this movie or i would ever watch it again i didn't turn it off i didn't uh i didn't i didn't bail and I suppose I could have, although really to discuss it, I, I guess I would have had to have gritted it out, even if I didn't like it. But I must admit there were times where I did laugh, and I actually really liked Michael St. Michael's as Big Ronnie. I thought his performance really was was very naked and uh and 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 you said a fearless i believe I yes. think that's a good way to put it, but it's also it's a fun performance it really is uh it carries the movie. 
And uh, I enjoyed seeing him. I would like to see him in other things. I was just looking him up, you know, to see if I had seen him in anything else. He has done some other things, but it's, you know... Uh, I imagine this is something that will he will be remembered for. I was looking up an interview with him, and he talks about how he's basically kind of bounced around doing little things for a long time, including, as he put it, like being like a straight actor in porn films wow. by a particular group back, wow. you know, when I guess they needed non-porn actors to fill out scenes. Or that kind of makes sense. Yeah, which uh, you know seemed very kind of in character for all of the things he was so he was totally game to do yes he's he's already seen some things uh, <laughs> what about you did did you like it yeah i suppose i don't like i appreciated it how about that yeah I appreciate is a good it. word yes i don't think i would say i'm in love with this movie but i admire also it's the consistency of its totally weird world yes you know and not just the disco tour not just the murdering uh the the kind of the ways the vocabulary of it there are particular terms that crop up again and again and the like the characters almost get stuck on almost one of them i will abbreviate into uh bs for, yes, artist bs artist yes. for the sake of not having to bother Thank labeling you. this podcast uh or having me blur, blurp them over and over i appreciate right. that bs artist yes. or um being a smoothie a mm-hmm. smoothie with women yep <laughs> or Hootie tootie disco cutie. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, there are these words that are used like uh, chance. Almost. Not nonsense Talismans, words. Talismans, yes. That yeah. The characters get stuck on. I There's something about that that is very hypnotic and that I appreciate. Or the long sequence in which a minor character mispronounces potato <laughs> so time and time again and is asked to say it again and say it again and say it again. I don't know. There's like a perversity about it that I I had to admire. Yeah, there are some. I mean, I there I I laughed. I mean, it wasn't just sitting there going, okay, this is very weird. And I, you know, there. I mean, the thing that kept cracking me up was you mentioned the uh, the car wash, and you know, Big Ronnie he greases himself up, I suppose, and then goes on these killing sprees, and then to transform himself back into a regular human, <laughs> yeah. he goes to the car wash and goes through it. You know, just. As himself, naked naked man, man, greasy, and there's they repeat the same exact shots each time. There's a shot of him sort of being whipped by the by the brushes and going, (laughs) and then there's a sudden there's a jarring jump cut to him standing there totally naked, being like at the end being fanned, and he's just standing there as you said with his his little Ronnie flapping in the breeze. It's not so little either, um, and it is, and and they and they repeat those same. They use those same two shots over and over again each time he kills someone. And it was funny the first time, but the fact that they kept going back to it every single time, it made me laugh. I I laughed. Yeah. I laughed out loud, and not in a like this is so stupid kind of way. Like I just thought it was genuinely funny. It was funny. I mean, I you know, you said you don't think you would ever watch this again, but honestly, you I could would see go, yourself doing it. I would definitely go back to watch those shots again because those, that specific scene, the him car wash, getting, getting like. Uh, hit by the the kind of washer like his face is incredible there's just something about it that uh that i love yeah i don't know there's this almost it's like i think the thing is also like it's there's something about its weirdness that is not aggressive towards the audience you know that i think sometimes when you watch i've seen things with this particular sensibility that like draw out really long prolonged jokes or things like that in a way that almost seem like they're daring you to walk away right and i did not feel that in this movie that it 
even in its repetitions, it is not deliberately trying to kind of provoke you to see how long you can uh, stick around for this joke. No, it's 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 it doesn't seem like it's trying to, you know, it's not like I, I mean, I guess it is provocative, but it's not trying to upset you really. Right, it's, it's not trying throwing to have things fun. in your face. Right, yeah. it's just trying to have fun. It's just it's not that sort of aggressive tone to it. It's not. I'm trying to think what you know. It's not the human centipede. It's not trying to make you puke and leave the theater i could see someone getting up and leaving the theater but just because it's so sort of strange and bizarre that uh that you might say what am i doing with my life watching this but you know it has a quality of almost like you know wonderful like outsider art like even the people in the movie everyone is so kooky and strange and they just don't look like the sort of people we normally see in a movie and they just seem like these wonderful oddballs and certainly their bodies, which we see a lot of, are not the sort of bodies we see in a lot of mainstream movies, which in a way I found refreshing, sometimes a little horrifying. The, there was a, there's, you know, watching one of these characters, let's say, pleasure himself, I found uh, somewhat disturbing, somewhat amusing and somewat disturbing. But I, I enjoyed Big Ronnie's uh, disco outfit. With like oh, a strategic wow. yes. cutout. Wow. It's tremendous. Really something. Just yeah. tremendous. Yes, um. absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, the running, I, I, I found the some of the running gags very amusing. Li- these are almost literal running gags in some ways. But um, like I said, the, the purity of the impurity was the, the line I wrote down in my notes that I uh, found, I came to a, a sort of begrudging respect and occasional uh, good humor with with this movie. I will say in terms of things that I didn't really care for, I thought the movie, the ending of the movie, not the, there's, there's an yes. ending or a climax to this sort of love triangle, which I, I thought was fine actually, and sort of unexpected, which I liked, but then it just kind of rambles on for another 10 minutes. And I, I honestly, I'm sure that there was something they were going for there, but I didn't, I didn't think they quite achieved it. Um, and I, I almost wish they had like ended the movie like, Eight, eight minutes earlier. Yeah, I felt like it... I, I agree. The ending is not one of the stronger points. I, I just felt like in the end, it didn't have... They didn't know where to end it. They had no so. idea what... Uh, that's how it felt. Maybe yes. this was all a very deliberate thing, and if we asked uh, Jim Hosking what he was going for, he could lay it out in, in intricate detail. But just as a, a viewer, it felt to me like they said, okay, now what? We can't just end with the sort of the climax of the, the plot. We have to do something else. What do we do? And who knows, maybe they had that location or something and they were there anyway and they just thought it would make – and it is a sort of unique visual that they achieve, but it just it just didn't quite uh, land for me in the same way some of those other uh, jokes do. It, it almost seems like it's trying to strain for some sort of like artfulness or, or like metaphorical beauty that I don't think the movie necessarily requires – or that works at all with yeah. the rest of the content. It made me think of Swiss Army Man, actually. It in is, that way Swiss, you know, I, I I thought of the same thing, yeah. given that it, you know, these two people wandering through this landscape. I, that uh, thought it, crossed yeah, my mind as well. Of, it, it seems to kind of try to like run out its uh, original scenario. I don't. I, I I just also liked the kind of industrial. I don't know if it's yeah. supposed to be Los Angeles or that's where I assumed it was. Right. I don't know. It seems to be filmed in Los. I assume yeah. it's filmed in Los Angeles, wherever they're supposed to be. I just liked it so much. The kind of total empty weirdness of it and the, and the sleaziness of it sort of fits perfectly with this greasy strangler 
character too. Right. Like it's, it's so empty, you know, uh, they, there only seem to be like 10 people in all of, I assume the greasy strangler had has, murdered everyone else. Right. Well, you just also, you feel like you, he needs to space out his murders because he's just going to run out of people to murder very quickly. It's true. So, yeah. It's very, very true. Um, as we're wrapping, wrapping it up here, I, what I was, you know, I mean, the movie came out last year. Do you foresee a future of this movie as a, since our topic is midnight movies, do you see a, a midnight movie or maybe more broadly like a cult audience forming around this movie? Uh, yes, I can see a cult audience forming around this movie. You know, it's this, I think, played at Sundance in the midnight section, which is not midnight movies that play in the midnight section and midnight movies are not synonymous necessarily. No, midnight at Sundance just means like genre, genre. movies generally. But also, I will say this, uh, I, I think, which we can talk about in the next section, there's this larger question of, can you aim to make a midnight movie or does midnight movie status have to be gifted upon you? That's a good question. Because certainly, I think Greasy Strangler aims for midnight movie status. It does. I think that it probably will achieve it in some way. Uh, it's a, I, you know, I don't know if it'll ever have enough of a following to really, but I, I, I think it seems like the kind of movie you should watch at midnight. Yes, uh, if not later. Yes, and that's he, when its logic makes the most sense. Yeah, it should not be watched uh, with a clear head in broad daylight. Certainly. Um, yeah, I guess in a way, it's the question is almost unfair because, like, are is there such a thing as a midnight movie anymore? I mean, that's something we can talk about more broadly. Is that. It's sort of a, and in a way, it's an outdated term. Although there are theaters in New York that do it, still have midnight movies every single weekend. One other component of the movie that we have not addressed that I wanted to point out was the music. I loved the music in this movie. Um, it's by a, a man named Andrew Hung. The the there's sort of a repetition of a theme that keeps popping up over and over. This sort of, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like aggressive. But it's also Angry, playful. But very playful, electronic music. There are times where it feels like a sitcom. There is something sitcom-y yes, about it. Yes, the way like it repeats uh, over and over. It yeah. almost has like a Seinfeldian quality exactly, to it. Exactly, exactly. I love the music. That was one of the, my favorite parts of the of the way that that music is like this transition between different sequences. And the theme that's the sort of the main musical theme that kind of recurs throughout the movie. I, I, I it, you know, when you first hear it, it kind of knocks you back in your chair because it is so sort of aggressive and strange, but it really fits the movie. And I thought that the, in general, the score was just perfect for this weird vibe that they were going for. It, it just completely complemented it in every way. Yeah, I would, I would salute the music. I would salute the costuming, which is really yes, uh, which I suppose would include certain parts of the anatomy yeah, as well the, the anatomy. lack of costumes in some scenes yeah. but i think if you're going to watch this movie the best reason is michael st michael's who really just yeah. goes for broke a performance for the ages it's really something else yeah so that is the greasy strangler and it is available right now on amazon prime <laughs> Mystery apple, take a little ride. Let me be your guide through the apple paradise. Juju apple, voodoo apple, take a little bite. Spend the splendid night in our garden of delight. It's 
It's a natural, natural, natural desire Meet an actual, actual, actual vampire Let the apple set your soul on fire All right, as we segue here into Midnight Movies, I mean, we already sort of at the end of our Greasy Strangler review, we kind of got into it, the Midnight Movie. It does, to me, feel a little bit like something that is, it's a little, I don't want to say passe, but it's from another time, from an era when you couldn't just watch a weird thing on your computer, because you didn't have a computer, because computers were gigantic things that were the size of a room. Yeah, or also when you wouldn't go to a midnight screening of on Thursday of whatever was opening the next day. That's true. Also, which That's I think true. is like, that has kind of become what I think for a younger generation, a midnight movie might mean. Right. The new just... Spider-Man comes out. Now it premieres Thursday night. We right. go Thursday night, see it as soon as possible so we can start the conversation. You're right. That is almost a more popular midnight movie than the traditional. This is a weird thing that no one's seen that you should watch. Yeah, I mean, and it, I, I, I loved. Maybe it's just because I'm old that I don't go anymore. But I used to love to go to midnight movies at the Landmark Sunshine at the IFC Center. Um, they were great, but it, 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 and both of those theaters still do them. So it's not like they don't exist anymore. And I think a lot of theaters still do. But it just, it seems like a, a concept whose moment has passed. It does. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I feel like. I'm bad at midnight movies because I always drift to sleep in, during them. Though that's kind of that's sort of, of the, the point. experience. Yes, yes. Uh, which is why oftentimes midnight movies are not the best paced movies in the world because it's fine if you fall asleep for yeah. a chunk. Um, but I will say this: I think the idea of midnight movies as kind of existing in defiance of like regular movie going rules yes. still st- like sticks around. You know, what's what's bad is good audience participation and reaction is like a plus mm-hmm. um and oftentimes it's also a place where you go to see that you associate with movies that are transgressive in some way that yes. uh, yeah so i i mean i do i still appreciate the idea of this slot as one in which you know all of the usual things that you would have in place when you go to see a movie you're kind of like overturned mm-hmm. it's a it's a beautiful idea the idea that because it, it's almost like, like you said, breaking the rules, I think, is a big part. While midnight movies can have a broad sort of definition, there's many right. different kinds of midnight yeah, movies. Yeah, like there's, some, there's a lot of overlap with like what you would call cult films, right. but there's a lot of other things in there as well. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be any particular, like there's many different kinds of genres. But I think one thing that a lot of them do have in common is that they are all, in some ways, rule breakers. Whether they have an enormous amount of gore or blood or violence or they're so strange or they're you know bizarre that they break the rules of logic or plot or they're very poorly made they break the rules of filmmaking that's another very popular category of 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 midnight movie so yeah they're just there's uh, you know you also said the word transgressive which i think is another very appropriate word here that that's what you're looking for in a real prototypical midnight movie for i don't know how you did your picks but i sort of did mine like as the two two things that I feel like deserve to be midnight movies. I've never seen them shown anywhere at midnight. That doesn't mean they haven't been. But like these are the things like if you gave me control of a movie theater, and for the life of me, I can't understand why no one has, these are some of the things that I would want to program at midnight that I feel like would play well there that maybe haven't gotten their, their, their moment in the sun or in the darkness since these are midnight movies. I picked two films that I feel embody 
two different approaches to the idea of midnight movie. And I, I think that both of them have probably played at midnight at places. I know one of them has. Mm-hmm. The other one just seems like it should only ever be watched at midnight or after. I watched it in the bright light of day and it didn't work. It wasn't that it didn't work. I just felt like I should hide. <laughs> it was, I'll talk about that one first. How okay. about that? Well, well b- very briefly, before we get into the movies, I just wanted to ask Have you ever read the book Midnight Movies by Jay Hoberman and Jonathan Rosenbaum? I have not. It's fabulous book is one of my all-time favorite movie books it is about the general phenomenon of midnight movies and they talk about the history of them so if you're curious how did midnight movies start um you can read all about that there and then they talk about specific movies like um you know pink flamingos and eraser head and i think el topo is in there as well uh it's a great book i'm looking right now it looks like it might be out of print if you can get, uh, and it doesn't look like it's cheap to get it uh, out of print either, but if you can get a copy, it's a great, great book. One of my all-time favorite books, so that's recommended. All right, let's get to our, our picks. You want to go first? Sure. So for, the, for, for my first pick, I wanted to pick something that I felt is a midnight movie because, as I've said, uh, it feels too inappropriate to play in the bright light of day. Okay. Uh, and as we as we mentioned, I, I think like transgressive movies is definitely movies that are too shocking to you know be play in normal slots is kind of an idea that I think certainly accompanies part of at least the aspect of uh, what it means to be a midnight movie. So for my first pick, I'm going to talk about Necromantic, N E K R Romantic, uh, which is streaming on Shutter, and this is a 1987 German film from uh, Jörg Boot uh, I believe is a good old Jörg. Good old Jörg. A movie that is famously banned in multiple countries. And in fact, I don't think ever got officially rated in Germany. Um, instead was made with the understanding it would never you know, be allowed to kind of play in a mainstream place. Um, courtesy of its rather graphic depictions of necrophilia. Uh, yes, it is an exploitation film. And it is, in the ways of exploitation films, it is even more effective for how roughly it's made uh, how kind of clearly low budget it is. The the low budget gore effects and corpses are are clearly like kind of handmade and are much more disturbing for it and kind of much more effective in in that in that way that sometimes happens. Uh, but what really makes it linger in the mind? Uh, also, I should point out. Even if you don't find fairly graphic necrophilia disturbing. <laughs> You will probably be disturbed by another running theme in this movie, which is um, that it contains footage of real animal slaughter. Oh, yes, no. I know. And I always find it. Interesting. Don't like that. I always find it interesting when uh, people are like, uh, you know, cannibalism, necrophilia, like whatever, most gory violence but at all. But don't you touch my, like, that dog. Animals, no. Yeah, that's yeah. a line I don't uh, like crossing. <laughs> but so, but what really makes this linger in the mind is uh, the ways in which all of this shocking imagery is paired with this extremely mundane story about how the main character loses his job and then is left by his girlfriend. <laughs> like it is a it, necromantic. It is a, a story of romantic tragedy in which the main character, Rob, Starts when working at a company that cleans up corpses after accidents and from crime scenes is a perfect job for someone with uh, his predilections. And we see that he has found a soulmate in Betty, his girlfriend, who shares his sexual tastes. So he shows up at home with a rotting corpse and then they proceed to frolic and then they have, you know, breakfast. (laughs) And I think that like that, 
that divide is part of the reason that this movie seems, I, I think, so much more interesting than one that just tries, as as many movies have, to just be shocking. You know, there's a whole list of movies out there that just like serve up uh, disturbing imagery. The one I always think about is a Serbian film. Mm which what played at Fantastic Fest like a few years ago and was literally just a I've series. I've still never seen it. It's just a series of extremely like, like the most aggressively like, are you shocked yet? Are you grossed out? Right. Are you horrified? Like images. In in Necromantic, there are a lot of, a lot of the kind of like uh, disturbing images are tied into heartbreak basically as this, as this guy gets uh struggles to to find connection after his girlfriend leaves him and takes their last corpse with her <laughs> um and he he just kind of drifts around uh, the movie happens. also i think kind of manages some commentary uh on on the idea of being kind of like jaded to to violence and spectacle uh, the main character shows up at a a movie that is a slash a violent slasher film sexualized violence all over the place and everyone in the audience is shown to be kind of like bored and not paying attention um but I don't think that it, I think you can give a lot of reads to it because it is so sparse that it almost invites, you know, more complicated readings that I think are necessarily there. What does, I think, stick around for this movie and what does make it uh, a, such a good midnight movie is it it's the most shocking movie to also just be about uh, rattling around your apartment having recently been broken up with, uh, which is really, uh, you know. I think kind of admirable. Um, so that's Necromantic. You can find it on Shutter. All right, that's an interesting movie. I got to admit, I don't even. I mean, maybe I, when I when you were told me about it, I looked it up, and the cover looks familiar. So I guess I've seen it in the video store that way back it when at like Kim's like for Kim's sure. Standard, but I've never yeah. I've never seen it. I'm not too familiar with it. It sounds like a true midnight movie. It's only also like 75 minutes long. That is a plus for yes. a midnight movie. Nobody wants to be at the theater too late. Right. All right. For my first pick, I went with a movie that I again sort of think deserves that cult audience deserves to be a midnight movie, but has never really found that. It is available on Amazon Prime. You can also watch it on YouTube, where its distributor, Troma, has put it up for free. Um, and many, many years ago, when I was an intern at Troma, the company that, if you've never heard of them, made films like The Toxic Avenger, The Toxic Avenger 2, The Toxic Avenger 3... Citizen Toxie, The Toxic Avenger 4, and other great classics of art cinema. While I was there, I actually sort of, uh, I would say I didn't really play a role, but maybe a tiny role, but at least witnessed the release of this movie. And it's called The Stabilizer. It is an Indonesian action film that is truly deranged. And the story behind the release of it from when I was there was, it was, this was would have been, I guess, the summer of 2000. And the person who was in charge of Troma's DVD department was looking through the company's archive, which, and I'm sure if you know Troma, you will be shocked to discover this, was not well cataloged. And it wasn't even <laughs> entirely clear like what movies they owned and what movies they could release. And they found this, or he found this Betamax tape that had different trailers. And he was looking at like what movies do we have that we could release. And there was a trailer for this movie called The Stabilizer. And no one in the audience had heard of this movie. And you can find the trailer on YouTube now. 
And we he showed it to me and a bunch of people, and everyone who watched it agreed this is the greatest action movie. Just from the trailer, this is the most ridiculous action movie that we've ever seen, and it needs to be released. And he and he put it out on DVD, and it is incredible. And thinking about it now, in a way, it almost reminds me of the raid, or the especially the raid wow. two. When you're, well, let me explain. Don't get ahead of me. Hold on. <laughs> wait, wait. You know, it's the, just the idea of watching it and going, wow, the people who made this, they were taking some risks. When you watch people like in an action movie where you're like, wow, this looks dangerous, right? So it's sort of like the raid, but then mixed with like Plan 9 from Outer Space. So instead of looking wild and dangerous, but also feeling kind of very slick and very competent like the raid does, it's like this looks wild and dangerous and it was made by people who had no idea what they were doing. That's the vibe. So it almost doesn't look like you're watching stunts. It almost looks like you're watching people just doing things. I'm not 100% certain that no one was harmed or maybe killed watching this movie. People may have died. I don't know. I don't want to know because I just love watching it. The story involves a American super cop who arrives in Indonesia looking to catch a criminal named Greg Rainmaker who is scum. And I know he is scum because the cop says, I despise scum like Greg Rainmaker a few times. And the cop is known as the stabilizer, Peter O'Brien, because he stabilizes situations because so you call him the stabilizer. Arguably, he doesn't stabilize things. I'm not sure how jumping off of helicopters and getting into crazy car crashes makes him stabilize things, but it's fine. Um, he hates Greg Rainmaker because he killed his girlfriend. Would you care to guess how he killed his girlfriend, Allison? I have no idea. He killed her by kicking her with cleats. What? Like golf shoes, but really, po- but very pointy. I understood. I mean, just like. This is his secret weapon. Throughout the movie, he walks around in very pointy cleats and kicks people. This is. This does is, sound very dangerous. Yes. So it's very demented. It's very bizarre. It's very entertaining. And just some of the stunts are absolutely bonkers. You know, and the the wonderful thing about it, you know, you mentioned not all midnight movies are paced well. I give the stabilizer credit for a a marvel of pacing. It starts fast and it never lets up and they find ways to continually top themselves. So you go, okay, well, they're not going to top driving the truck into that river. That's not going to happen. And then Wow, they're definitely not going to top that scene where a guy gets headbutted by a motorcycle. That's not going to be topped. That can't. And then they jump out of a helicopter and he shoots at the helicopter while he's falling and blows the helicopter up. I mean, it's magnificent. It really is. Uh, If any of this sounds interesting to you, I strongly urge you to check it out. It is wonderful. It is very ridiculous. It is very, very crazy and very, very fun. Uh, it is The Stabilizer, available on Amazon Prime or on YouTube. All right. I would totally watch that. That's It's good. great. It's so good. I despise, I also despise scum like Greg Rainmaker, but go ahead, Allison. Yes. Well, so for my second pick, I wanted to to kind of have something that maybe encompasses two separate things that I think you could look for in a imminent movie. The, like, so bad it's good quality that is sometimes sure. there, but also the... This actually, this wasn't bad at all. This just wasn't appreciated by mainstream audiences quality. Yes. You know, where uh, something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, yep. the definitive midnight movie, mm-hmm. 
did not do that well when it was in mainstream release, but then went on to have a long, long life as a midnight movie. So for your consideration, your midnight movie consideration, I did want to submit Tank Girl, which is Uh available for rent. The Rachel Talele directed 1995 film uh, adapted from the Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett comic. It was a troubled production. Uh, there was, it was not success when it came out with critics or at the box office, uh, which is unfortunate because it, it was a production that had a lot of interesting talent, in, uh, including Catherine Hardwick as the production designer mm. and Stan Winston, who did uh, prosthetics and makeup. So uh, a lot of talent attached. Um, Based on a comic book, which nowadays, come on. I know. Well, I think that's one of the things that it is interesting about it is that in this way that like is so uh i think significant in terms of like being before the era in which a comic book was like a uh, source material to make a giant blockbuster it makes such a big deal out of being adapted from a comic book like it folds in uh whole comic book panels it folds in animated sequences in which the characters as they were drawn in the comic book kind of fill in sequences which i'd read somewhere and could not find a a, like kind of definitive confirmation of this was because whole important sequences were not shot and so they had to have animated filler to like to to to, um make it so they had something to put there uh but uh, it ha- this movie actually has gone on to have a bit of a midnight movie life. I think because its its universe is so vivid. Um, it is it's set in a dystopian Australia in which Fury Road style water is a precious commodity, mostly controlled by an oppressive dictator. In this case, a corporate one uh, played by Malcolm McDowell, who is the head of the Water and Power Corporation. Uh, the title character, a.k.a. Rebecca, is played by Lori Petty, while her eventual partner in Rebellion, Jet Girl, is played by, Matt, do you know? I don't know. Naomi Watts. Wow. Yes. Uh, she was the sidekick in this movie. Wow. Um, yes. And then there were all kinds of, like, like very memorable bits of imagery. Uh, there's this, these devices that can be, like, jabbed into people that will kill them by sucking out their blood and transforming it into water. Uh, there are human kangaroo hybrid soldiers, one of whom is played by Ice-T, and another one of, uh, becomes Tank Girl's love interest. Iggy Pop makes an appearance. There's a scene in a futuristic sex club in which everyone is made to sing Cole Porter's Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love. Uh, it is... A messy movie, but it is also a very distinctive one in a way that feels very endearing. I think in a way that feels like one a crowd would get behind, you know, especially since I think this movie has faded from memory enough that it can become the kind of discovery that I think can fuel midnight movie success. And in particular, I would say the make or break quality of this movie is Lori Petty's performance as Tank Girl. It is one that you will either love or hate. She is basically like a punk rock Bugs Bunny bouncing through the apocalypse, only ever able to make wisecracks no matter how bad things get. There's a whole sequence in which Malcolm McDowell tortures her more and more and she just cannot stop quipping back at him no matter how she looks like rougher and rougher each time she like uh, gets brought up. Uh, it is, I, I think, not by no means a great movie, but it is one that has that spark of life to it that seems like 
it would make people happy to dis- discover it. And I think that that is a quality of midnight moviness, the ability to have a discovery of a movie that's no longer in mainstream kind of discussion that uh, is important and worth calling out. So that's my second pick, Tank Girl, available for rent. Okay. My next pick, well, I went a little bit outside of the box because, as we discussed earlier, I felt like, you know, the midnight movie... It isn't what it once was, and I and I, I think that a lot of the energy that used to go into making the movies that wound up as midnight movies has gone elsewhere. It's gone to the internet, it's gone to television, and sometimes it's gone to both. And so, I, uh, for my second pick, I did not pick a movie, and I picked the thing that, to me, felt the most like a true midnight movie of recent memory. Um, it premiered on television way after midnight, debuted actually at four in the morning, which could be one of the latest world premieres ever, I think. And it became a viral video sensation. It's been seen over 12 million times. So in a way, it's almost not quite cult. But I think that's sort of the way that this is this new world that we're living in. Um, And to me, other than The Room, it seems like the most pure, like midnight movie of the last decade or so, even though I don't think it's ever played in a in a theater at all at any time midnight or otherwise but it just it i don't know it seems like the thing that to talk about here and it's uh have you any idea what i'm talking about i have a very good idea of what you're talking about it is too many cooks uh-huh. <laughs> directed by casper kelly still available on youtube um it's not a feature-length film but it's 12 minutes long but i I just couldn't imagine. I can't imagine anything being like a better midnight movie that's been released like in the last decade or so than Too Many Cooks, uh, except maybe The Room, which is probably the only true like midnight movie that's emerged. Birdemic, also you might yeah, Birdemic. For. Yes, and I've seen Birdemic at midnight at an actual I movie theater. Too, yeah. We were at the same screening, I think, where it premiered, and it's one, and that is wonderful too. But I don't think Birdemic has the same reach that The Room does. The Room, I think, has a legitimate cult midnight movie following i think birdemic uh plays at that time and and has a i think has a a devoted smaller following but just doesn't seem quite as it doesn't seem to have quite the same reach as the room anyway too many cooks was created written and directed by casper kelly made for adult swim the adult programming block on cartoon network it begins as a sort of parody of schlocky 90s sitcom opening sequences that were very ubiquitous when we were kids, Allison and I, where you have this ridiculously cheerful theme song and the cast would be introduced one by one. They'd each be doing something, washing the dishes, playing with a toy, walking into a room. And they would always do the same thing where they would just kind of like turn to the camera and then like, oh, hi, give like a knowing <laughs> smile. Didn't see you oh, there. You. Yeah. It's so great to see you. And that was the way that these looked. And at first, Too Many Cooks looks like it could be any one of these sequences, but then it keeps going and going long past when any of these real opening sequences would have, and it starts getting stranger and stranger, and it changes genres, it changes mediums, it becomes an animated uh, opening credits at one point. And then the sheer logic of the film begins to break down, and it turns into something totally different. And all of the different elements, they just blend together one to the next so perfectly, so seamlessly. It's just so amazing. I When I when it first happened, I loved it. And I just rewatched it for the first time since then. And I was like, this is perfect. This little thing, it, for what it is, 
It is absolutely perfect. It's so funny. The details of the period stuff are on point. And then it becomes so bizarre and creepy and wonderful. And I have to say, it is one of my great regrets of life that I wasn't randomly watching television at four (laughs) in the morning, flipping channels. I just think if you had found this thing, perhaps in an altered state of mind, at four in the morning on Adult Swim, I can only imagine what you would have thought. Can you, you must have, like, it's real. It must have been amazing. I, I wish I could have seen it that way. And I really think that it would play great in a movie theater. You know, like if I had my movie theater to show movies in, if I was showing something else at midnight, I would show this first unannounced and just see what happened. Why not? It's it's got a lot of that stuff we were talking about before about midnight movies. It breaks the rules, uh, crosses over into different kinds of genres. It's very strange. Would play well under the influence of one or multiple substances, and it does have a fuzzy puppet cat named Smarf. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. I would recommend wait until late at night. You don't have to do four a.m., but wait until it's late. Um, hey, maybe uh, invite friends over and then put it on and not tell them you're going to put it on and just see what happens. I'm sure they'll all appreciate it and thank you later. Yeah, but you should be prepared to have that theme song stick in your head for the rest of your life. Yes, and uh, if you do, lucky you. So that's uh, Too Many Cooks. It's available on YouTube. We are going to briefly talk about the big new movie coming to theaters the weekend you will be receiving this podcast next Friday, March the 3rd. It is Logan. Logan, the third and supposedly final solo Wolverine film starring huge jacked man as Logan, the Wolverine, whatever he's... Here he's just going by Logan. This is last... Supposedly. Supposedly this is the final time he will play this role. I honestly... I honestly believe we will see him play... Even for a cameo somewhere, I firmly believe that we, we will not... This is not the last one. Yeah, it has been seventeen years of him in this role, which is mind-boggling when you think about also, it. Also, especially since he is like more jacked now. He's a more he, jacked man than yes, he was then. Than he was. In it's that true. Film. If you go back and, especially the first one, if you go and look at the first one, he's so young, so baby-faced, and over the years. You know, he's. I feel like he's kind of, in a way, his his grittiness as as he's gotten older has worked well with the role. It has, yeah. and his refusal to eat bread <laughs> and eat nothing but chicken and like vegetables and brown, 0.5, maybe point five percent body fat. Yeah, maximum. just he's gotten so incredibly ripped up um, that it it's true. He he is of all the superheroes, he seems the one who's most dedicated to like not only like you know like creating that superhero body but maintaining it across all the movies a lot of times they'll like you'll notice like that first movie they show up in great shape and then the second movie you're like boy he's wearing a lot of t-shirts in this one <laughs> right and you go okay i get it you know he didn't want to get in the ripped shape he you, he's he's proven it before doesn't need to prove it again not huge jacked man he likes to get ripped to shreds he is uh huge so besides his physical state which obviously is very impressive what did you think of the movie oh i loved it i thought it was loved it yes i would say despite it it's not perfect by any means but i think i i i think every time i think that i am so exhausted by the superhero genre every once in a while something like this will come around where you're like it doesn't it's not just that it is a very good uh kind of elegy to this character Mm -hmm. it also i think reflects in interesting ways back on the whole franchise in particular and i wrote about this a bit it's an r-rated movie the way it uses violence makes you rethink how violence you know kind of has been portrayed in all of the other movies in a much more bloodless cartoonish way that is true and in this movie it's almost like 
you're like waking up from a dream into a reality in which you know Wolverine smashes his uh, claws through someone's skull, and it's totally graphic and distra- like you know violence seems like a burden on these characters in this movie, which is not to say that the the fight scenes are not mostly pretty exciting. Yeah, it. I. I. I th- this is unusual in that I almost feel like you enjoyed a comic book movie more than I did, but I, I liked it a lot. I don't, I don't know that I liked it as much as you did though, but it's, it is a very fitting send off for the character for all the reasons that you said. And the fact that it is very R rated, very violent, very bloody. Um, while sometimes that sort of stuff in these kinds of movies, I find kind of off putting the, you know, urge to be very adult and gritty. And it, it it's all appropriate in this case. It suits the material. It suits the character. It suits the story. And you're right. It does put cast um, an interesting light on those earlier X-Men and Wolverine movies where he's stabbing guys, slashing these claws left and right, and no one ever bleeds or gets cut up Except or anything. Except for him, really. Except for him, because yeah, he can heal. He can heal. I mean, what better kind of, like, embodiment of like PG 13 violence is there than Wolverine, someone who can never permanently get hurt, it's you know, true. who is kind of this indestructible person who has an incredibly savage kind of weapon built in and yet never, you know, leaves body parts flying around until, this, until now, until this movie. Yeah, that's true. And actually the, the whole fact that he can heal is a big part of this movie because in this one he's older and for reasons we won't spoil, for some reason he's sick and he's maybe dying and his healing factor is just not working the way it used to, um, which is not great for the character as a in his well-being, but it's great for the movie because I found it much more suspenseful watching him, whereas in previous movies it was always fun to watch him because Hugh Jackman was great. He really was intense. He really embodied this Wolverine character. But you never really got too worried about his well-being because he's always going to be fine because he's Wolverine he's, and he can't be killed. And here he is so much more vulnerable and it it makes the movie a lot more suspenseful. Yeah, it's a whole movie about consequences that were just like are not usually there in, in kind of other movies in this genre. Like it is about consequences and it's about death. Like yeah. it is a very death fixated movie. It's a, it's a pretty intense movie. It's pretty dark. It's pretty serious. I feel like it is in a lot of ways it embodies a lot of those like the cliches of movies that I don't like like this. The grim dark. The grim yeah. dark. But this it's does maybe not feel grim dark. Though. No, it feels like in a way it feels I mean it one of the things I think I wrote in my notes, I don't know if I wrote this in my review, it's just like, you know, a lot of these kinds of movies now, especially these days, are using adult content, but they don't really feel adult. They feel, imma- they're very immature. And right. they're just, they're just more, throwing around right. more violence. More violence, because, uh, more sex, and more right. swear words. Right, because, you know, there, there's an audience There's an audience for it, as well, I think, movies I, you have know, proven. We, neither of us was a big fan of Deadpool, which right. is the other recent R-rated movie, which actually is, I think, the exact, it, that is the definition of Deadpool. It yes. is a movie that, that kind of is extremely... It's not just juvenile and its humor, and like I don't mean that as a dismissal of its humor. I think it's juvenile in terms of just by design. It doesn't. It also in terms of just like not managing to actually deviate from all of the things it's making fun of. Right, right, and it's. I think it's possible that we would never got, have gotten this movie without Deadpool. So if that's the case, huzzah to Deadpool! Another reason to like Deadpool, I suppose. But yeah, this movie, you know, it's not just. It doesn't have just have adult content. It feels like a movie, an adult movie, a serious movie. Now it does have a guy with claws coming out of his hand stabbing people, but it really feels like 
a serious consideration of this guy and of this world and what it means to have these characters um, walking amongst the movie, the people of movies, if not uh, us. Um, And, you know, and I will say that uh, it does have some lightness too with Patrick Stewart. I thought Patrick Stewart was great. He's sort of like uh, professor X is, has sort of dementia and that's made him dangerous. And, and made him a little and old and cranky yeah. and 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 kind of charmingly funny at times. I thought he gave a great performance, one of his best in the entire series, actually. And he seems to be having a great time, too, because, you know, Professor Xavier is always such a serious person, very straight-laced. And the characters Patrick Stewart tends to play, in general, are very serious. And he is, you know, he is the sort of one kind of note of goofiness uh, at times in the movie and he seems to be having a great time and yeah. it's fun it is fun the one other thing i will say and something that i really appreciated about this is that just like so much of the conflict in this movie is not conflict that can be fought in a giant battle against a pillar of light you know that's it, true there's that so much of it is just that the world is getting worse in ways that like none of the characters can battle mm. they can just run away from right and i i thought that there were as it's a genuinely dark but realistic concept, totally. you know, that I think that you don't often kind of is not something that the superhero movies tend to try and tackle. And I, I thought that Logan did it really well. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the things that I didn't like quite as much as you do, I felt it was a little long. I didn't love that. La- there's a there's a last section. Yeah. That's certainly doesn't the work weakest. to me. It's certainly the weakest. There's part. like a deus ex machina that I won't describe that to be felt super convenient, super it didn't fit with the rest of the movie. And it, in a way, it reminded me a little of the last Wolverine movie, which James Mangold also made, which was like very serious for a long time and then had like a big robot fight at the end. This one isn't that broad. It stays more grounded, but it just in the way that it kind of escalates to this kind of dumb, big fight that I didn't think was that great. It just seemed like it felt studio note e to me in a way that the rest of the movie felt like something a studio note would never produce. It felt like a, an artistic statement that they felt a little hedged a little hedged to me at the end having said that the final shot of the movie is fantastic <laughs> so it's good it is worth seeing it is a it's a it's a very very good one of these movies and it's a nice farewell for the huge jackman now he can go eat bread i hope he enjoys many slices of pizza he's earned it you've earned it you jackman you've earned it all right let's get to uh, behind the eight ball Let's uh, count down some new releases on streaming. Let's give you some listener recommendations that you guys sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And also, one film chosen by my list. Allison? Yes. Do you want to go first? you want me to go first? I, I want to go first. All right. So let's start off with three new releases on streaming. Okay. First up is I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, a title I have so much trouble keeping in my head. But... What a world we live in, in which the winner of the Dramatic Competition Prize at Sundance last month is now available to stream, courtesy of Netflix. This was a Netflix original, a 2017 comedy, thriller, crime drama, um, written and directed by Macon Blair, his directorial debut. You may remember him from Blue Ruin, Jeremy Salnier's film, and also from Green Room. And this movie definitely has a Jeremy Salnier-esque feel to it. It is both very brutal and very funny as well, and stars Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood, both of whom are really fun in this. Um, so that is on Netflix. New to Amazon Prime and Hulu, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Dan Trachtenberg's spiritual sequel to Cloverfield, starring John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and John Gallagher Jr. Uh, an interesting movie. I, I didn't like the ending, but I liked most of the rest of it. 
I thought it was well directed. And finally, new to Amazon Prime is Shotgun Stories. This is the 2007 debut film from Jeff Nichols, who has more recently done Midnight Special and Loving, uh, and starring his muse, Michael Shannon, in a story of feuding families. Uh, It's quite a directorial debut. Uh, So that is on Amazon Prime. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? Well, first up, we have one from, we have so many listener recommendations, courtesy of the uh, the competition, the, the drawing that we were doing, this giveaway. So thank you, everyone who wrote in. Now I'm um, going to work our way through them over the next few episodes. So first up, I have one from Natalie in France, who writes, uh, first of all, congrats on your show, which helps me sort out all the new releases in the streaming world. You guys have amazing taste. I'd like to recommend two movies streaming on Netflix, Miss Stevens, which stars the great Lily Rob and could be a fine companion piece to The Edge of Seventeen, and We Are the Best, which you may have recommended a couple of years ago. We did. I think we actually, like, that was a a main review we did. Um, So you can look for that back in our archives. It is a wonderful film about a Swedish punk rock girl band, a great companion piece to Sing Street. I would also recommend a science fiction series streaming on Amazon Prime, Humans. The second season is starting now on AMC. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Natalie, for that. And I have a recommendation from Ashley in Denver, who recommends Eastbound and Down, now available on Amazon Prime. Ashley writes, I recently rewatched all four seasons, and one would think a deep dive into the psyche of a willfully ignorant bully would be incredibly wearing in this day and age. But Danny McBride's Kenny Powers is extremely lovable, as is the rest of the cast. I really enjoyed rewatching Danny McBride and John Hawks fighting over badly needed toilet paper in season one and Matthew McConaughey's erotic prayer to Jesus in season three. So uh, that's on Amazon Prime. Thank you for that, Ashley. All right. And how about one film chosen blindly by number from your my list? You give me number eight. Number eight on my my list is Magicians, Life in the Impossible. Oh, my God. It's a documentary about magicians. Is it? Because I like magic. Really? I do. And also, I just honestly, I cannot wait for the Oscars to be over, for me to have finished writing about them and to just settle in and and watch watch about some freaking magic. Not at all awards documentary about magicians. It's an illusion. Yes. All right, Matt, are you ready? I mean, I don't have anything as cool as a documentary about magicians, but I'll do my best. You know, who does? Yeah. All right. Three new releases. All right. First up on Netflix is Clouds of Sills Maria, written and directed by Olivier Assayas and starring Juliette Binoche and Kristen Stewart. Binoche plays a famous film actress. Stewart is her assistant. It's about the relationship between the two women and also about Binoche's character's career and what it means to be a woman who is getting a little older in this industry obsessed with youth. It's an awesome uh, movie, great performances, fabulous ending, very much worth checking out. Clouds of Sils Maria on Netflix. Next up on Hulu is American Teen, a 2008 documentary from Nanette Bernstein, who was the co-director of The Kid Stays in the Picture, which was that great Robert Evans documentary from now, like, I don't know, 20 years ago? Oh, God. Uh, The film was marketed as this kind of, like, documentary that was almost like a real-life John Hughes movie, like a bunch of teenagers who all go to the same high school in this little town in Indiana, and there are several characters who fall into these sort of teen stereotypes, like the Breakfast Club. So there was a jock, and there was a geek, and so on and so on, and it followed a year in their lives, and I remember finding it interesting at the time as this kind of 
modern look at teen life and also a reconsideration of those John Hughes types. And now it's almost 10 years later. I thought this might be an interesting movie to rewatch now and see how modern does it feel in 2017 or does it now seem just as dated as an 80s teen movie? I don't know. I thought that would be interesting to look at it for that reason. That's American Teen on Hulu. Finally, on Amazon Prime, we have Captain Fantastic, an Oscar nominee for its lead actor, Viggo Mortensen. He plays the father of this family. They live in isolation out in the wilderness. And then he and his children take a road trip to attend a funeral. It sounded to me kind of like a very like cliched sort of Sundance movie, but I've heard nothing but good things about this, including some people who thought that Viggo Mortensen gave the best performance of the year. And he is, as we're recording this anyway, Oscar nominated. I don't think he's going to win, but it's always nice to be nominated. And I have to admit, I missed this movie in theaters last year, and I'm looking forward to catching up with it on Amazon Prime, Captain Fantastic. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? All right, first I have a recommendation from Keith. And Keith says, I figured I would take this time to try and accomplish a few things in one go. And let me start over because I'm just going to leave this. Just go straight to the recommendation. All right, our first recommendation from... All right, my first recommendation comes from Keith. Keith writes, I would like to recommend my most underrated, why isn't anyone talking about this film pick of 2016, Kicks. I have read it argued that Kicks is perhaps a bit over-directed, but for a young filmmaker, that is perhaps the best kind of backhanded compliment slash critique. I really loved what director Justin Tipping attempted to do with this film. A central metaphor involving an astronaut who is referenced throughout the film is a perfect example of the quote-unquote over-directed complaint, but for me, it never tipped over into mawkishness and I really respected the director's ambition. Another reason to recommend this film is the cast, which includes Mahershala Ali and newcomer Jaqueline Guillory in a standout performance. I found the specificity of place and the stylistic flourishes of the film really helped distinguish it from others that seek to explore similar territory, and it has me extremely excited to see what Justin Tipping makes next. It's a real shame this one seems so overlooked in 2016. So that is Kicks, which is currently available for rent. Thank you for that recommendation and a much longer email, which we don't have time to share, from Keith. Uh, Next up, I've got an email from Todd in Phoenix, Arizona. Todd writes, uh, here is my listener recommendation. Check out any or all offerings of Rift Tracks on Amazon Prime. If you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, then you will be a fan of these equally hilarious movies that are riffed by many of the same crew. Amazon Prime offers one or two dozen of these. All great stuff. So that is Riff Tracks on Amazon Prime. And that was a recommendation from Todd and Phoenix. Thank you, Todd. And yes, the Riff Tracks, it's a whole enterprise they have. But they did recently add a whole bunch of them to Amazon Prime. I haven't had time to watch them. I've seen a few Riff Tracks before, but I haven't seen any of the ones on Amazon. So I've got to check those out. Thank you, Todd. Okay, and how about one from your my list? You gave me number 11, and it's not about magicians. Number 11 is Blue Jay. It's a recent indie film. I'll read you the plot description. Two former high school sweethearts unexpectedly reunite in their hometown, where they rediscover their magical bond and face a shared regret. And this one I'm curious about because of the cast. Mark Duplass and Sarah Paulson. That's a great combo. Haven't seen it. Played it TIFF, I believe. Didn't get a chance to check it out there, but I've heard good things about it. So that's Blue Jay on Netflix. 
So on our last episode, we did a giveaway. We don't get to do a lot of giveaways, so we really were appreciative to get this offer. Uh, We had Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight to give away on Blu-ray. And so I'll give one last shout out to that. Manchester by the Sea, now available on Digital HD uh, and available on Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand from Lionsgate Home Entertainment while Moonlight uh, is also available on Digital HD, will be available on Blu-ray, DVD, uh, February 28th. So our winners, randomly chosen, Gabe in Florida, Shalikto, and Caitlin. I'll send you guys all an email, but uh, look for look for my email and you can give me your address and we'll pass it along to get those Blu-rays sent out to you. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you to everyone who entered. We got a lot of entries. We got a lot of listener recommendations we can we'll be using on the show. Got a lot of reviews, so thank you everybody. All right. Now let's get to our listener's choice options for our next episode. We've got three relatively recent films on three different platforms. So it's a pretty good bunch this time. Uh, I think I know what's going to win, but we'll see. Our first option is available on VOD and DirecTV at the moment. It is also in limited release in theaters. We have mentioned on the show before, not this episode. I think last time it was an opening break pick from Allison. It is The Girl with All the Gifts, directed by Cole McCarthy, and with a cast uh, that includes Gemma, Gemma Arterton, Patty Considine, Glenn Close, and newcomer Senia Nanua, who plays this the girl of the title. It is basically a. Uh, it's kind of a, a a modern riff on a zombie movie with I thought a very smart sort of twist on things. Um, it's based on a novel, and I didn't realize it. I saw this at TIFF, not knowing very much about it, uh, and then realized after the fact it's based on a book by a comic book writer that I like, Mike Carey, um, who's a, I haven't read the book, but I've, I've read a lot of his comics, and it occurs to me also just now. Because of what happens in the film, it's kind of like uh, also like a YA dystopian movie in a sense, but might be like one of the best ones of those that I've certainly seen. And granted, I haven't seen all of them, but I really love this movie. It is a it's a horror movie with a lot of smarts and a really it's kind of got like a Twilight Zoney kind of vibe to it, especially towards the end. Um, I really loved it and I would like the chance to talk about it. And, and even if it doesn't win, it's nice to tell people it's out there because as I was remarking on social media on Friday, like this movie came out on Friday and, and very limited release and I haven't seen anything about it. I guess if you have direct TV or cable, you've seen some ads for it. People told me that they've seen ads for it on television. And if you have uh, a way to see it that way, great, go for it. But even in the New York Times this weekend, there was a review for the movie, a positive review. There were no ads telling you where to see it. If you were like, oh, that sounds good. Where can I find it? You had to, you really had to track it down. So it's worth seeking out and it would be worth discussing. I'm sure we could have a lot to talk about. We could even do a whole podcast about YA dystopian movies, in fact. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, so that is The Girl with All the Gifts and that's available on demand or on DirecTV. All right, our second option is one uh, that I've mentioned before as well, just now. It is I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. I think that definitely uh, there's a lot to talk about, even just in the idea that uh, one of the bigger movies from Sundance is already available on streaming. I think that's certainly a landmark moment. But also that this is a movie that is basically... uh, it's kind of like an amateur sleuth movie in some ways. Uh, it's like a buddy comedy that is about trying to um, 
trying to right a wrong that has done, been done to you personally. Basically, it is Melanie Linsky versus the jerks of the world in a way that I thought was uh, was very satisfying and gives a lot to talk about. Melanie Linsky as a amateur detective and eventual kind of awkward action heroine is pretty delightful. And, uh, you know, I think that we've both been fans of Jeremy Salney's work. So to kind of see this as a continuation and of that sensibility from one of his collaborators also, um, I think offers a lot to talk about. This movie uses violence in interesting and sometimes very funny ways. So that's, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. That's your second option. It is currently streaming on Netflix. Yeah. I want to, I haven't had a chance to see that one. I didn't get to cover it at, at Sunday. so I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that one out myself. Our third and final pick we've already mentioned on the show. It is available on Amazon prime. It is captain fantastic with Vigo Mortensen. He could be an Oscar winner by the time you hear this, although I don't think that will happen. But it's uh, his his story about him and his family on this journey. Um, we've heard great things about it. I have not seen it. Have you seen it, Allison? I have seen it. Okay. Is there things you would like to talk about about it? I think there is a conversation to be had about it, certainly. Oh, what does that mean? Well, you'll You're being find very, out. Wow, all right. Now that is a tease. Talk about a tease. Well, if you want to hear what Allison was talking about, you will have to vote for Captain Fantastic, it is available now on Amazon Prime. All right. Well, which of these movies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can vote in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com, our website. Uh, things got moved around a bit there, so some old links, uh, if you'd save any, might not work, but you can find all of our episodes there. They're still there, um, so you just gotta, you know, search through the menu again. But filmspottingsvu.com, it's working fine. Uh, your vote must be received by Monday, March 6th at noon, and after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at filmspottingsvu, and you'll have all that week to watch the film, and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out on Tuesday, March 14th. Filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. And listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice. And where we share more streaming suggestions from you guys, the SVU listeners, as well as ourselves. Mostly Allison. She's the one doing a wonderful job sharing exciting movies over there and even though the contest is over hey if you forgot to send us a review on itunes why don't you do it it always helps us reach new listeners and we appreciate it for film spotting svu i'm matt singer and i'm allison wilmore thanks for listening 